I'm talking to Joe Dane, candidate for Orange County Judge, seat number nine, and my colleague at Fullerton College. He teaches as an adjunct in the Administration of Justice Department, in addition to being an Orange County Superior Court Commissioner. You'll find out how he went from x-ray technician to reserve sheriff deputy to judicial candidate how the Orange County bankruptcy interrupted his Orange County career and how he came back. Uh, You'll learn how much taxes gets taken out of a $1 salary, how kindness opens doors in your career, and why Joe Dane wants to be an Orange County judge. So let's get started. So welcome to A Slice of Orange. I'm Jody Balma, and today I'm talking with Joe Dane, who is a candidate for judge in Orange County. So we're doing a series talking to some of the people running, learning a little bit more. Um, So welcome, Joe Dane. Thank you for spending some time with us. Thanks very much for the invitation. Glad to be here. So one of the reasons I'm interviewing people about this is because it's it's the most asked question I get during elections. How do voters decide who to vote for for judge? Where do they get information? And then usually with an exasperated sigh, why do we vote for judge? So before I get you started with your bio, what's your answer to how do people find out information about who to vote for? That is not the first time I've heard that question. I talked to one of my neighbors uh, down the street about my campaign, and he's probably in his 80s. And he says almost proudly, that he has never voted for a judge. He's voted every single election since he's been 18, but he's never voted for a judge because he's thought that a bad vote is worse than no vote. And if you look at the numbers, obviously the big ticket items are at the first part of the ballot, like president or senator and things like that, and it kind of goes down. And if you look at the number of people that cast votes for the top of the ticket, if you will, it just tapers off at the end and a small percentage of people actually vote for judge And a lot of people express that they just don't know who the judges are and what they stand for. So that's part of the the goal here for reaching out and (laughs) gladly accepting your invitation to talk is to get the word out there about how do you select a judge and where do you find information? So every uh, candidate for whatever office does have the option to do a written ballot statement. It does cost money based on the, the seat that you're running for or the office that you're running for. So it does cost money, but you can do 200 or 400 words in a ballot statement. And most candidates will do that because in the in the voter guide that every uh, voter will get, or you can pick up from the registrar of voters or the post office, you can look in there and read at least a short information about each candidate and what they stand for. And usually it will link you or give you a, a web address where you can seek more information. So unless you know somebody, uh, or you know what they do, it does take some research on people's uh, on people's behalf yeah. to research about the candidates, either by reading the ballot statement as a starting point or websites or talking to people in the legal community about who is good and bad. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So let's get us started. So tell me a little bit about yourself, professional bio, a little bit of personal backstory uh, of why you want uh, to be a judge. What prepared well, you? I'll tell you where I am now, and then I'll kind of loop back and tell you how I got okay. I'm already on the bench. So essentially, I'm doing the work of a judge now. I'm a superior court commissioner, and I've been on the bench for three and a half years now. To be a commissioner, we fill out essentially the same application as you would to be appointed by the governor, but it's different on how we get to be on the bench. As a commissioner, we're actually selected by the sitting judges in the county where we work. 
So I submitted my application when there was a recruitment and I forget how many hundreds of people applied for the positions, but they do the same screening and background and vetting process and ask around about reputation and demeanor and experience. And then from there, it's all the judges in the county. So all the judges in Orange County voted to make me one of their own essentially and make me a commissioner. So I was extended the, the offer to be a commissioner back in 2018 and happily accepted. So I was sworn in as a commissioner, have the black robe and the whole shebang. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm in the criminal division. I have my own courtroom. I've been assigned to all kinds of criminal matters, everything from first arraignments and first appearance in court with a reading of charges all the way through trials, uh, felonies and misdemeanor cases as well. So that's where I am now. So what's the difference between what a commissioner does and what a judge would do? How would your job currently change if you were elected? In reality, there's not a whole lot of difference. And that's what Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know is what a commissioner does. Essentially, I do the work of a judge. Um, The difference is that by statute, so by law, I can't sign a search warrant and I can't sign an arrest warrant. If I'm in court and somebody doesn't show up, I can issue a warrant for their arrest. But if a police officer comes to me and says, hey, we want to get a warrant for this guy's arrest, I can't sign that. Mm -hmm. And that's just two restrictions on what I can do. Everything else I can do, the only difference is as a commissioner, the parties have to agree or stipulate that I can hear that that matter. So, for example, if a trial gets sent out to a judge, that's the judge that you get. If a trial gets sent to a commissioner, both sides have to agree that that commissioner can hear the trial. Okay. that's how I get my cases. So essentially, I'm doing the work of a judge. It just has a different layer. How many commissioners do we have in Orange County? Do you know the number? We have 16 at this point. I think one's about to retire. So we have around 16 right now. Okay. Absolutely. So that compared to how many superior court judges do we have? Um, I know I'm doing a pop quiz on this. That's all right. I should know the number off the top of my head. We have several vacancies. Uh, obviously, the election, those seats are going to be new judges. Sure, sure. At some point. And we have several vacancies that the governor can fill by appointing judges. But if we're fully staffed with judges, we have about 130 judges plus okay. the So around 140 bench officers. So considerably more Superior Court judges that stand for election than commissioners. Commissioners are never elected. We're um, right. hired by and selected. Right. Just so. numbers. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So so now I'm going to let you answer the question of, of your background. Got it. So how did I get here? Um, I went to a small high school in Texas and I graduated there at 17. I moved out to California and my goal was to go to medical school. So I started working as an orderly in a hospital. I went to Long Beach City College and I did their x-ray program. I got my associate's degree and I started work as an x-ray tech. So my goal was to work in the medical field as I went to school. But ironically, um, I still like medicine. I I find it fascinating, but I started branching out in different directions. And I thought, do I want to have a biology degree and not go to medical school? Do I still want to go to medical school? So I took some time off from school and I decided I would try something completely different. So I joined the sheriff's department. I was, I know. That's a big shift. It was. Um, so I, I was a reserve deputy sheriff in L.A. County. A reserve is essentially the same as a full-time deputy. We go to the same academy, same bulletproof vest, same uniform, same everything. Uh, and I worked on patrol. But the difference is, at that time, you still have to be paid to be a law enforcement officer. We got paid 
$1 per year. So they took taxes out of that. And my first paycheck was 84 cents to be a cop. So uh, essentially I was a volunteer, but I did about a hundred hours a month. So, you know, over two weeks out of every month was volunteering on law enforcement on patrol. And I loved it. Okay. Um, I thought about going back to the full-time Academy, but Mm -hmm. going to court and testifying uh, for the arrest that I made, I met some of the prosecutors up in Bellflower and they said, you know what? We know your name. You write a good report. You should go to law school. And I had no idea how to do that. Wow. On kind of a whim, I took the LSAT, the law school admissions test a week later. uh, I found a place that still had an opening and a spot to get in there. So I took the LSAT. I did well enough to get a scholarship to law school. So I continued to work full time at night as an x-ray tech as I went to law school during the day. And I'm proud to have graduated with zero student debt because I worked full time. I don't know when I slept, but I got through it. Sure, Um, sure. I worked as a law clerk in the DA's office during my last year of law school. Um, And then when I passed the bar exam, I got sworn in. Orange County went bankrupt in 1995 and there's a hiring freeze. Did indeed. So uh, Tulare County up in the Central Valley was hiring. So I went to the DA's office up there. I was there for six years, tried a bunch of cases, three years in sexual assault. I was a gang task force coordinator and I was doing homicide trials up there as well. Came back to Orange County DA's office for six more years, more sex crimes, major narcotics, general felonies. And then I was in private practice uh, for 10 years doing criminal defense. During that time, I volunteered to be a temporary judge in Orange County. So as a volunteer, put on the robe, called traffic and small claims cases, and I loved it. It was sort of like doing, you know, the reserve deputy sheriff got me interested in law. Mm-hmm. Being a temporary judge really made me interested in being on the bench. I knew I always kind of wanted to. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So when the commissioner recruitment opened up, I applied and I was thrilled to have been selected. That's great. That's great. So now that obviously gives you the experience to see the job, to know that you want to do it. Is it, is it hard to go from, um, th- from having the job to running, right? The, the skill set to being a candidate and getting on the ballot is often something that stops people from considering these, these positions that they would be excellent at. I run into people all the time that I think he would be so great as a school board member or a city councilman. And they say, I just don't want to run. Right. Is, is that, is that something that made you pause or are you, you know, all in as a candidate enjoying that part of it? You know, uh, yes and no. Um, I'm all in because I want to win, obviously. Right, um, right. There's only two ways to be a judge. It's either you're appointed by the governor or you're elected in a general election. So I waited to see if there was going to be an open seat. So one of the judges, uh, there's several judges that are retiring this time around and they chose to let their go- their seats go to election. So I waited until a judge that I knew was going to retire and then I ran for his seat. I'm not running against a current judge, but I'm running for an open seat. And the best part about running a campaign, honestly, has been just kind of reconnecting with people, um, just reaching out and the people that are sending me messages of encouragement. Um, and it's just nice to hear that the judges that are endorsing me, mm-hmm. uh, organizations and officers that I've worked with or taught at the academy. I taught at the police academy for a number of years, and those officers are still working and moved up through the ranks. And they're the ones that are supporting me, people that know me personally. So that's mm-hmm. been the best part of it. It's, it's like another full-time job 
you know, to run a campaign. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work to run a campaign and, 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 and it's not something partisan. So it's, it's nonpartisan, which we have a number of nonpartisan offices, but it's even kind of in its own category because it's not ideological. Like the, the exact characteristics that we want from our judges are antithetical to candidates right. and campaigns. So you're not running on a platform of this or that. You're, you're running on kind of the opposite of that. So I always think it's it's got to be one of the most challenging combinations to find people who really want to campaign and and would be excellent judges because of that. And tying back to your first question, how do you know who to vote for? That's the hard part. You know, people think, right. are they in my political party or not? And these are nonpartisan races. So you can't rest on that. And nor would you want a judge to do that. If right. it's aligned with one side or the other, it kind of makes you wonder. So it is a nonpartisan office. Um, and I, I cannot and do not run on that. And as far as platforms, you're right. I can't say I'm going to, you know, pave the roads and you know, right. wonderful things. It's right. hopefully um, just trying to be someone that is seen as experienced, fair, um, and will uphold the law. And that's all you can really ask for. In right. right. The question is, how do you find that person? And I'm just speaking on behalf of myself, hopefully, because that's what I'm doing now, that the judges know that that's who I am. And now, hopefully, the voters will see that as well. Right. Yeah. So, what have you learned as a commissioner that that really lets you see the whole, uh, you know, the, the whole body of the job that you might not have known if you, you know, there's a lot of people who are running right now um, that that are Orange County deputy district attorneys. And obviously you have prosecutorial experience and that's certainly part of the job, but what's the rest of the job that, that is beyond prosecution that you can see as a commissioner? I guess the biggest switch really was, um, you know, since I've seen it from both sides, you know, law enforcement, prosecution and defense, you know, I understand the law from all sides going from a prosecutor to defense attorney, you realize there's a lot of nuts and bolts things that you don't understand about the daily activities, but now seeing it from the bench, you know, it's like sitting there for the first time and somebody makes an objection and you think to yourself, oh, wait, that's me. I have to rule. So it's, it's running the courtroom. There's obviously a lot of training that goes into it. And I, we always go to a two week new judges college. So there is training about bench demeanor and ethics and the nuts and the bolts of the law for areas that you're not familiar with. And anytime we get a new assignment, there is training involved for those sort of things. So it's not completely unfamiliar but the big, yeah. big switch is just really understanding that you're in charge. And I don't mean that in a cocky way, but it's just you're there and people are relying on you to make the right decisions based on the information that you have there. And it's better to take that extra half second and research or ask the right questions to make sure you've got all the information that you need to feel comfortable making a decision and not just a knee-jerk reaction based on what you think might be right. It's It's just that kind of half moment of self-reflection there before every decision. I think uh-huh. the biggest switch there as a, as an attorney on either side, you've got a position and you're arguing it. Right. As a judge, you've got to take that. Let's weigh both sides. Let's make the right decision. That's correct. Right. Right. And, and you also have managerial, right. As, as the head of a courtroom, you have, you have bailiff, you have, you're, you have jurors often that are coming in that, that really are relying on you to set their schedule and the time that they are taking time out of work and, and a sloppy judge ruins it for everybody. Right. So there's that 
skill set that we never really think about when we're electing people. I'd love to take all the claim or the all the fame for that. The staff that I work with on a regular basis are phenomenal, especially on a lot of the high volume calendars that I have, where we have 200 defendants in a day to get through. If they weren't on the spot as far as their work that they're doing, if we don't have a good working relationship, it would just come to a grinding halt. Right. Is, yeah. Everyone does look to the bench. Ultimately, if my staff does something inappropriate, I'm held responsible. So they take their cues from me about how we treat people and uh, kind of how we do things. And I've been very fortunate to have great staff, great bailiff that I work with. And we all just get along well and understand one another. They know, you know, how I like to treat people and how we run the courtroom with it's relaxed. You know, it is formal, but it's relaxed enough so people don't feel all stiff because I want people to relax, to be heard and feel comfortable speaking up, but still have that same sense of decorum where right. it is serious, no matter what we're dealing with. Absolutely. So, so what does a campaign for judge look like? How much money do you have to raise? You, you know, you mentioned the, the ballot statement that costs money, um, campaigning, a website, yard signs. It's the entire county. Every single judge that is on the ballot is running, you know, and there's it, Orange County has 3.2 million people, clearly fewer voters. What it's like one, 1. 1.8, 1. 1.6 million voters. So how do you get the word out at a county this big for an office that doesn't have slates of, of, of you know, political party support? How, how do you campaign? It's a great question. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you can certainly run your campaign however you want to. There are some people that I've heard, again, this isn't me, this isn't my candidacy. I have heard of elections for judge in obviously well deep into the six figures. I've heard five and $600,000 being raised for a campaign. Um, I don't think- It concerns me that somebody would want to spend that much money for a job that isn't supposed to be political. It isn't. but, kind of but you want, but we want the best candidate. So I'm uh, always torn on this. I know. Um, it's a great question. Some people, you know, look at how do we get our judges on the bench? Um, I don't think it's a direct dollars to vote sort of thing. It's just getting the word out there. So, you know, I've heard everything from raise $25,000 to raise $250,000. They say raise money and we will spend it well. I do have a campaign sure. manager. Sure. And yes, there will be lawn signs. And yes, I have a website sure. and all that. Sure. Well, and, and you almost have to have a campaign manager because you have a full-time job. Right. <laughs> like, so um, I'm on my lunch break now, so I'm not. Yes. Full disclosure, lunch break. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, this still, is, this is my I'm recording almost all of these in off hour. Yeah. Right. So this is not government time at all. But when my day ends in court, my second day begins and I start making phone calls and I usually have appearances at night and groups that I speak to. So yeah, it's a, it is a second full-time job, but I'm putting the work in because I want the job. And, right. you know, I, the, the major part of my campaign funds come from me. I'm, I'm not self-funding completely. I am doing fundraisers, but I have put in my money. So it's not just me. Eh, let's see how much I can get from other people. I, I put my money where my mouth is, as they say. Right, right, right. Yeah. And and clearly, I mean, I, you know, you've spent a, a long time at, in the professional world in Orange County. You have lots of people, you know, you, you sort of mentioned that, that, that 
former colleagues and, and people that you've worked with are coming out. And, and certainly that's where I think a lot of the fundraising comes for, from. Um, but, but it is, you know, just always a question of like, how much money are we asking people to raise and to spend on their own to get a job that we want them to be objective and have no conflict of interest. So um, well, it's, if it, it's if a it hard. Any, if it makes you feel any better, um, there are ethical rules and government oh, codes right. about um, disqualification. If someone donates over a certain amount, it has to be disclosed. If they donate over another certain amount, I can't hear their case for two years to make yeah. sure that they're not buying their way into favor. And yes. absolutely. Um, yeah. Even when I started declaring myself as a candidate, even though people just said, hey, I support you without giving a penny, I'm still making those disclosures that you know people are supporting my campaign. I can, I can and will be fair, but I give both sides an opportunity to be heard. If somebody feels that I cannot hear this case or should not hear it, I respect that and it'll be passed mm-hmm. along. No one's, no one's raised that issue for me. Hopefully they, they know me. So. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And so because you mentioned it in your bio, and I just want to want to highlight it and have you talk a little bit more, um, that you taught at Flourishing College in in what was, you know, we had the police academy and now you're you're um an adjunct uh in our administration of justice. So what kind of classes are you taking? And for my students who might want to go over and take a class with you. There you go. Um, AJ department, make sure you get the right one. Um yeah, yeah, I started teaching at the academy when Fullerton College had their police academy. There was a prosecutor at the time who had taught there for a bunch of years and he retired and they were looking for somebody who had been a prosecutor, who had taught before and uh, who had been a cop, ideally. So that was me since all those boxes checked. So I started teaching the academy when I left the DA's office and I went into private practice. uh, I remember talking to the director of the academy. He says, hey, as long as you still teach the material, even as a defense attorney. So I kept teaching. I taught there for about 10 years. And I've also taught other academic courses. It's usually in the criminal law. So I teach Introduction to Criminal Law 110A and B. Uh, Trying to remember the number. AJ 220, which is criminal procedure, and AJ 222, which is evidence. Those are the three that I usually teach. My classes had low enrollment because I tried to go back in person this time and not on Zoom. So oh, we gotta get definitely. people out. We we have to publicize that things are back on campus. I, I, I think you know I'm back on campus too, and um, it's been magical, magical to be back. And I think um, the students who are back and who chose to be back are really enjoying it, uh, yeah. and hopefully we'll we'll continue to get more and more as we as we do that. So, right. um, yeah, I, you know, whenever I'm in a, a courtroom, and, and certainly I see, uh, you know, you you've kind of shared some of your. Um, educational part from the judge of, 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 of talking to classes and, and bringing students in, even if it's on Zoom. And so I think that that skill set of being a teacher really matters to, to kind of open up the, the, the secrecy of the courtroom. So many people don't really know what happens. And so I love that you were bringing um, school kids into your courtroom and, and doing that piece of it. They do a lot of community outreach through the courts. We'd always get tours of high school students that would come in person, mm-hmm. you know, obviously pre-COVID. And I, I enjoy it. Um, as a temporary judge, if they would come to the traffic department, I always always stop and talk to them. And now when they come into my department, I always stop and answer their questions. I think it's great. Yeah. I think our, our court system is wonderful. It shouldn't be the, this mysterious building with columns and all that stuff where we don't know what happens. And right. in a weird sort of way, um, we had so many people watching court proceedings when the buildings were shut down for COVID, everything was live streamed on YouTube and we had people who would just log in and watch. There weren't even participants. Yeah. 
And I, yeah. would, I was uh, teaching my classes and I would send out the links all the time. Hey, there's a trial going on in this department. Go watch that. So people have a chance to do it. When the, the courts are open now and, you know, COVID is hopefully going away. So courts are open and we get a lot of people to just come and watch. Courts are open to the public and you can yeah. sit, you know, ask a bailiff. Where's, the, where's yeah. the good stuff? And they'll send you in the right direction. Where's the good stuff? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I hope, you know, as, as a pandemic becomes an endemic and, and less scary and dangerous that, that we keep some of that transparency for, you know, I, I was able to go to so many more city council meetings because they were online and, and, and that, um, you know, I always joked that when I retired, I would just hang out in courtrooms and watch, um, that of course now procedurals are all the rage on TV where you can kind of do that for fun with better writing. But um, so so to get back to the campaign, um, how do you decide which seats? You, you kind of mentioned that you knew that a judge was going to retire. Is that what it is? Just waiting for a judge to retire to know that there's going to be an opening or when you see the the options of which which judges are retiring, you can choose which seat you're interested in? How does that process happen? As I said, we have a number of judges, let's just use round numbers, like 120 judges currently. A judge's term is six years. So every six years, your seat is up for re-election. So rather than have all the judges up for re-election at one time, they take a third of the judges every two years. So judicial elections are every two years. And it turns out that this group of judges, uh, this two-year cycle, there turned out to be a number of judges that chose to retire and not seek re-election. Every judge has to seek to be re-elected to their own seat. If no one files against them, then they're automatically re-elected and they never appear on the ballot. But um, we had heard, when I say we, we all kind of know, we had heard that several judges were going to retire and no one wants to be a vulture and, you know, kind of wait for somebody and say, Hey, are you retiring? And, you know, act like you're pushing them out the door. Right. So, we had heard, everybody kind of heard of the number of judges. And when I heard there were several openings, I was never going to challenge one of my colleagues and run against a sitting judge who wanted to keep their seat. So when I knew for sure that um, a judge that I knew was retiring, I spoke to him just to confirm that he was in fact retiring were the rumors true. And that outgoing judge endorsed me for his seat. So it, he's, it's not his seat to give away, but it's nice sure, to sure. me as a colleague. He endorsed me and says, yeah, he's the guy. I don't necessarily have to take over his caseload. And when they say the seats on the, on the ballot, it may call them office number or seat number. Those are just arbitrary numbers that are appointed, that are uh, put on there by the registrar of voters, just so we know which job it is, you will, that we're going. Right, right. It doesn't really mean anything. Mine happens to be seat number nine. And that was just the number numerically that was given to the judge that chose not to run for re-election mm-hmm. to retire. Mm-hmm. So his is seat number nine. So you may see on the ballot, you know, the numbers that kind of jump, I think it's seat number five and then seat number nine, but you won't see one through four or six. Right. right. So you'll see them kind of missing. And that's why it's because those judges chose to run for re-election for their own seats and no one challenged them. So it's only the seats that are being uh, challenged, either a sitting judge's challenge or an open seat where the judge is not seeking re-election. Right. Those are the ones that make it to the ballot. And I don't think we have any sitting judges that are being challenged this time. I know it's happened in the past. I mean, honestly, for all of the reasons you said, which which are you know professional and cordial, but also just the the factual reality that challenging a sitting judge almost always loses. Yeah, some judges like an open seat is is much 
easier to win against somebody else that's not an incumbent trying to get their job back. Right. Um, and so I think particularly in an election year when there are so many open seats that that why would you want to take the much harder competitive political challenge of, of running against somebody who al- already is an incumbent and right. yeah so sitting judges have been challenged in the past I, I can't remember the last time a sitting judge was ousted. six years ago um uh, uh there was a challenge to an incumbent and it went so poorly for the challenger that that same judge that is problematic in a couple of ways um google the orange county register for that uh you know there's also the the question of so that that judge is not being that that judge is back up for election and no one is challenging him even though he might be vulnerable but there's also the problem of you know that is there retribution in the legal world if you challenge a sitting judge and lose are are other judges not as nice to you i don't know it's just political questions that we always have of you know, are there consequences for challenging a sitting judge and losing and still being a lawyer appearing in judges court? You know, I think if you were to challenge a sitting judge and be unsuccessful, I think that's almost an automatic disqualifier for a judge to not hear your case since you ran against them. So that that one-on-one judge shouldn't be- Sure, it's just, are are his friends going to be less happy with you as well? Um, I hear you. Hopefully. No, Hopefully everybody puts those personal things aside, but. You know, it's as a bench officer, you have to have a very thick skin and you have to above all else um, be above board and be ethical. So mm-hmm. uh, if you, and that's the biggest thing they say is whether or not you can hear a case, you have to look at inside yourself and say, would anyone who know my minds, who knew my mindset, would they think that I was not able to be fair and impartial so if you have that thought yourself, you shouldn't hear the case. And mm-hmm. that rarely happens. We're able to compartmentalize very clearly about we're doing a job. You know, you have attorneys that you're you're nice to and you know because they're appearing in your court all the time. Sure. Others you may have met for the first time. Everybody's treated the same. So sure, sure. the case, it's not a personality contest at all. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So um, I, I have some questions that I ask everybody at the end of the show. Um, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? As a as a sitting bench officer, or just in life? In life, but also now now I want both answers. Okay, <laughs> that one, didn't I? Uh, it it kind of goes. Uh, it's the same question and same answer for both, and it is you only have one reputation. As a prosecutor, um, you know it's amazing that in criminal cases sometimes deals are struck and plea bargains are made on just two attorneys talking in the hallway. And if you're not good to your word, or if you represent that you have certain evidence, if, pe- if people can't believe you or they don't trust you, you're doomed. You're never going to you know, get respected. You're never going to be trusted. And, and it's just never going to go anywhere. Same thing as a sitting bench officer. You've only got one reputation. You've only got one set of ethics. Uh, maintain it and don't ever compromise those. Uh, if people know you to be fair and every decision you make is based on the law, then how can they fault you on that? They may not agree with your decision and they may you know, wish it went the other way, but if they understand why you ruled a certain way and it's based mm-hmm. on the law, then that's all you can hope for. So you've only got one reputation. Keep it. Yeah, it's really good advice. I like that. So what's a book you like to recommend to people? 
in my all my free time these days. Yeah. You know what? This is gonna sound terrible. I still read crime novels, even after all the years in the legal field. You know, you throw me a Grisham novel, you throw me one of those, I will read anything. If I'm gonna get on a plane or go somewhere, if you find me in the airport, if I don't have a paperback with me, I'll find something with a gavel on the cover. So <laughs> I, I like crime novels. I still listen to hey. podcasts. I love it. I feel like you picked the right profession. <laughs> I, I really did. You know, looking back, I, like I said, I still find medicine fascinating, but uh-huh. my life experience, um, you know, that led me to go to all the autopsies and homicide cases and understand all the medical lingo there. So life experience, you can't uh, put a price tag on that. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I just wish I would have been in the law for longer. Uh, I love it. This is This is my life. This is my career. That's great. That's great. So is there a hopeful message you can share with our listeners? Hopeful about if we're going to focus on just the law or sure. in life? Sure. You keep um, giving me more options. You know, know I'm going to say yes to all of it. I'm trying to help you. See, this is me asking those clarifying questions. I know. The right answer. But my um, answer is all of the above. <laughs> absolutely. Is there hope? Absolutely. You know, the pendulum swings uh, one way or the other, and it kind of reverses course, and it always comes back to the middle. There are, there are times when things are uh, looking a certain way. Stay the course. Uh, be strong um, and just hang in there. I've been through, you know, having to cash those 84-cent checks or 86-cent checks and being broke and thinking, oh, God, am I doing the right thing? And, you know, running on fumes and, and caffeine. And... Uh, Eventually it's there. If you know where you want to head in life, it's amazing how many doors will open for you when you are kind and just talk to the right people. I've had so many people ask me about how to be a commissioner that we just had a recruitment cycle that came up for new commissioners. And it was nice to tell them how I got to be where I am. And now as I talk to other judges that have run for election uh, and getting advice from them, it's just nice when people remember how I was as a prosecutor and are willing to help so it's just, again, that, that reputation and just be kind to people, um, it will come back to you 100-fold. Yeah, absolutely. So finally, who should we talk to next? There's a whole lot of people running for a whole lot of uh, seats. Are you, are you focused strictly on judicial races or are you talking about all across the board? We're talking to everybody. Yeah. So if you can get them to speak to you, uh, I know it's a countywide election, but obviously the district attorney's race is uh, it's a big one on the, in the news. It is. I am saying this just to let you know that that's in the news. I am not expressing an opinion as a judicial officer. <laughs> I cannot and do not endorse or get involved in any of the races. Um, there are a lot of seats that are open up. Obviously, school boards with the redistricting, those are interesting things. Some of the mm-hmm. Senate uh, seats are still open. So there are many candidates out there that, just like me, love to talk about what we do. Sure. Like to get the name out there. Um, so I'm happy from both sides of it, not only so okay. people know me, but also to educate people about the election process for judges. Yeah, no, I really I'm sure appreciate it. I'm sure other candidates would like to do that for their office as well. Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much. This was really great and kind of helps answer a lot of questions that voters have about judges and, and they let lets them get to know you a little bit. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to A Slice of Orange. I'm Jody Balma. I want to thank our executive producer, Ann Watfett, and our editors and producers, Alexandria Kim and Cindy Gimple. 
this podcast would not be possible without them. So thanks to them.